Welcome to Nonprofit Innovators, brought to you by Good United. This podcast celebrates new and innovative nonprofit successes, the faces behind them, and elevates those winning ideas so that we can learn more from them. Regardless of your role or the size of your nonprofit, we believe you'll find something valuable in this podcast. To learn more about this topic, visit us at goodunited.io. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the second season of Nonprofit Innovators, and welcome to 2023. If you're like me, I am pretty much ready to put 2022 to bed, but I think now is really a perfect time to think about what we learned this year about nonprofit fundraising. It's still a challenge. Uh, What was the behavior of our donors and supporters? Were there any trends that bubbled up? Are there challenges that we just can't ignore? And are there things that we really learned this year that now is the time to put into practice? I think that's a really good discussion topic for today. And I have the perfect guest to join me for this conversation. So I'm really, really honored to introduce you first to Tina Barber. She is the Director of Community Philanthropy at the Trevor Project. And for those of you who are not familiar, the Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for the LGBTQ population of young people. Tina's held a number of nonprofit roles in individual giving and other fundraising. And I have to say, I just love how you describe yourself, uh, Tina, a philanthropic next practice thinker and an unapologetic elder millennial. Tell us in a sentence or two about those two <laughs> things. Um, so uh, I like to think of myself as like a bit of a spicy disruptor. And what that means for yeah. me is like, um, we do a lot of really good best practice work in fundraising, but every best practice that we have was once someone's, you know, wild idea. And so when we think about what's ahead for us, like I want to be part of the group of people who are pushing towards what's coming next, not just always relying what came before. And I got to be honest, you know, I, I stand my millennialness hard because we are, we are a force in this world. And I think more people need to know that we're not teenagers, millennials or adults, and we're doing really meaningful work in the world. I love it. I love it. That's great. And our other guest today is Aaron Hall. Aaron is a product marketing manager with Classy, and this is an affiliate of GoFundMe and Public Benefit Corporation. And they are a giving platform that enables nonprofits to connect supporters with the causes they care most about. We're lucky to have Erin join us. She has a long history working with nonprofits. She's the first employee of Charity Buzz, a business that she built over 12 years ago, which crafted bespoke celebrity experiences to auctions for causes that people care about. And I know many of us have seen some of those amazing experiences. She's held roles at the American Red Cross and Salesforce.org, and she's worked with a, a whole range of nonprofits. So... We're really thankful to have your years of experience with us, Erin, and anything else you want to add to your introduction? Uh, No, but thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to our discussion today. Me too. Me too. Well, Tina and Erin and I had the chance to visit uh, earlier last week to just 
talk about what we're going to talk about today. And I can tell you that we are going to have no um, problem filling the time. We chatted and went on and on and tried to come up with it. You know, what's going to be meaningful to our listeners today? Uh, you are all nonprofit leaders seeking out innovation, pushing the envelope in your own organization. So what's a really compelling topic? And we landed on something I think that COVID-19 and our, the COVID years kind of brought us to how to meet people where they are in nonprofit fundraising and engagement. We all changed the way we communicated, we talked, we connected because of, you know, the, I guess the environment that COVID created. So I really want to lean into that. Like, how are we meeting people where they are? And Tina, when we talked about this, you were very passionate about the topic. So tell me why you think, what it is, what is it about this that resonates so strongly with you? Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate your framing, Maria, around like what have we learned as the result of the last three years of a global of like living through a global pandemic and like how that has changed the way that we exist and the way that we do business and the way that we connect and how we measure and deepen relationships, right? And um I think for me, the reason that this is so important is like related to what I mentioned about being a next practice thinker. Like in fundraising, we're always talking about like, how do we attract younger donors? How do we acquire more new donors? What's the next new trend? We're always kind of looking for this um, magic wand, special spell that's going to like bring more revenue and recognition into our organization. But we don't always consider like, how are we communicating with people? How are people showing up and saying yes to us already? And in what ways are they doing that? And so for me, especially, you know, in my role at the Trevor Project, where I lead a team that interfaces with a community of supporters who are coming to us in different social channels and in digital ways and through email and offline and through events and all these different places, like, We talk all the time about multi-channel engagement and like, how do we get email donors? How do we get direct mail donors to become email donors? And how do we make money on social media and all that stuff? But we're missing this really important nuance, which is like, how are we talking to people where they are? How are we meeting someone and affirming them for the work that they're doing, the effort they're putting in, the contribution they're making in the way that they've shown up? And like, I think about, you know, my life is, is in this little box, just like everyone else's, right? (laughs) Like I I shop there, I bank there, I talk to my friends there, I build my community there. And like, if that's how I'm operating in the world, then that means that's how our donors are operating in the world. So why are we demanding that people behave in a way that's counter to where they're most comfortable, right? And in the nonprofit sector, I think we're we're a few steps behind in, in that regard. So we're we're asking people to act out of character. We're asking people to behave in a way that doesn't yeah. feel natural, that doesn't feel comfortable. So this idea of us meeting people where they show up is one, just how we're all acting in the world anyway. And it just, we need to catch up. And two, I see it as like a really effective extension of like a diversity and inclusion strategy. Like I think my biggest takeaway from the, the the height of the COVID pandemic years was how technology created opportunities for us to be in places we didn't used to be able to be or that we thought were too hard for us to show up in and invited more diverse perspectives and peoples into conversations who, for access reasons, location reasons, all those kinds of reasons, 
weren't, they weren't able to be at the table, you know? And so now this, to me, this meeting people where they are is both a good business proposition for nonprofits in terms of generating revenue, but it's also a really thoughtful way to extend your diversity and inclusion efforts to really like, if your donors are in social and that's a place where you can meet them, like it's way easier to meet a donor if you're a geographically based location who might be far away, if you can meet them in a social channel, right? you know, you can meet them there and you can build a relationship there and you can, you can make them feel affirmed and seen and feel like a really active and engaged supporter of your work without having them have to come on site and be at an event or respond to your direct mail piece with a check. You know, it's, Right. To me, it's like both good business and good, you know, connection and relationship building strategy. Yeah. Well, and, and through the years, uh, I know nonprofits have talked about it ad nauseum, like listen to your donors, listen to your supporters, listen to your participants. Um, but I think we're at a point in fundraising and just in the way we communicate that we have to put it into action. And even if we've built huge infrastructures around other ways of doing business and responding, we have to start putting into practice the the follow through on that, listen to them and then meet their needs. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into this more. Now, Erin, you've had a all variety of nonprofit work, um, you know, working for nonprofits, working for, you know, vendors, working for agencies that help nonprofits. Have you seen this play out in different ways through the years uh, in your experience? And uh, you think we're getting there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's important, yes, to meet donors where they are, but it's also about the people that we're serving too. So like I worked on a project with the LGBT Center in New York City at the height of the pandemic, and they really had to digitize their information and referral help desk so that their constituents could come to them with help. And so phone, while it's helpful for a lot of people, if you're not out to your family and you need to reach out to get help, you need a way to do that. That's not going to, you know, it's quiet. So they kind of deployed like a chat function on their website to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's equally important in fundraising to your point, Tina, like, um, like meta, we found from our state of modern philanthropy report that we published this year that um, of all the different social medias out there that Meta drove the most traffic to campaign pages, about 83%. So it's important that we show up on these platforms to make sure that those communities know about us and also have like a mix of messaging that's both um, awareness and not going straight to making that ask, right? We need to educate people about the work that we're doing and why it's so important that they contribute to kind of help that help that help us reach our goals in terms of, you know, feeding, feeding the hungry or, you know, healing the sick, whatever the mission of the organization is. So um, I think it's important, even if you're not personally active on those platforms, your donors are, or your potential donors are. So um, to develop different like advertising strategies to reach those different audiences. So if we're looking at, you know, Gen Z and millennials who are most likely to um, visit an organization's social media channels before making a donation. Um, I think it's, again, important that we show up on the various platforms where we're all, we all live. That's so, that's so true. And, you know, taking a walk back in time, uh, what our founder, Jeremy Berman likes to say is that we're in the third shift of giving, mm-hmm. you know, nonprofits are. So, I mean, years ago, and I'll even date myself a little bit. I remember when we did door to door campaigns, 
you know, at the American Cancer Society, we had a neighborhood, we recruited volunteers, we literally went up to people's doors and knocked on the door. And I can't even imagine doing that today. Um, you know, we started with email or we started with direct mail. So having a mailing address attached to a donor was like so golden because you could send them mail and it was a great way to communicate. And that was the way people communicated. And then with the evolution of email and event websites, that became the way that you could really communicate and connect. And now we're seeing a complete shift um, through social media and using messenger and other ways to chat with individuals, like you said, live chat or, you know, again, where people are, what other changes have you seen? I mean, that's like old school, right? Going from mail to social media, but what other ways have you seen this change through the years? Any other um, specifics? I I think that like, I think everything that was old is now new again, because like, you know, like we're, Trevor has been primarily and continues to be a really digital first organization. Our donors are relatively young they're really social socially active and in platforms and we see a tremendous amount of response like across our in platform giving in a number of ways but we've started to test direct mail uh different kinds of direct mail packages to some of our audiences and we're seeing a a pretty nice response to to some of those like old is new again uh tactics and so you know I think what's most what's most interesting to me about like what is changing is um, the expectations that supporters have for organizations to be interfacing with them on these platforms in a unique way because we're not like as nonprofits we're not competing against one another for attention and visibility like we're competing with the Amazons and the Googles and like all of the major brands to get the attention of our supporters. And there's an expectation that like the way that we interface with supporters is going to feel similarly to how like Starbucks or the gap or like whoever is interfacing with their supporters. And so I think that that for me is like the biggest shift in how fundraising has changed and needs to continue to evolve so that it feels um, it feels like it's more part of a person's lifestyle experience to be uh, operating with the organizations that they care about. And I think that that, I think that that's buttressed by the statistics around the statistics and the research around younger donors and how they expect brands to be socially and co- socially conscious and how they look at social media as their first point of contact for information about building their relationship with a nonprofit partner of their choice so long as that organization aligns to their personal values. And I think that that's like a really big shift where people used to trust organizations first. I think, you know, younger generations of supporters have values that they come into the marketplace with and they expect nonprofit brands to show up and meet them in that space. I don't know. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah. I, have a, I have a very relevant example when you're talking about what's old is new. So we were Good. a partner with the Salvation Army. And so we're familiar with the Red Kettle Initiative at the holidays, right? So everyone's familiar with that. It's been going on for, you know, 100 years. And so what they did is really transform the way that they ran their kettle um, kettle operation this year. So they had um, a QR code, right? Old is new. 
um, that would scan to a donation page so that the donor, instead of giving an anonymous handful of change from their pocket, which who carries change around anymore, they can now increase the size of their gift because you're not going to go on Apple Pay and give 50 cents, right? You're going to give at least $5 or, or whatever you're looking to do. But now more importantly, they have the contact information for all of these new donors, of which 80% were net new to the Salvation Army. So mm -hmm. now they can nurture these people throughout the year because they have their contact details and have raised more money because they were able to enable, again, like digital wallets for that experience. So um, I thought it was a nice tie-in example of old, old is new and kind of refreshing, um, kind of longstanding ways of, of fundraising. But talk about meeting people where they are. They're exactly. literally walking into a store. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I do that all the time. Like, oh, sorry, I don't have any, I don't have any dollars. I don't have any change. But that is a great example. Um, I love that. Tina, I know that you talk, I know you love to use social media, you know, and you've really your organization has really embraced it. And we've been happy to partner with you. You guys do fantastic work, but help explain uh I guess on social media, when you talk about meeting people where they are, like, tell us what you mean by that, like how that plays out, yeah. plays out like on Facebook. Yeah. So I think Facebook or meta, however we want to call them. Yeah. Days, yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a really great example, you know, so Trevor is, uh, Trevor has been leveraging Facebook for a long time to allow supporters who are in channel to donate like their birthdays or other meaningful dates to them, to Trevor, to the Trevor project and have fundraising potential, which is, I think, probably what most people are most familiar about when it comes to Facebook fundraising and how you can sort of become active with folks in channel, um, you know, through our partnership with Good United, like we've been able to really expand our capacity to engage with our supporters in more meaningful ways. Um, you know, we are able to contact them directly with like a cadence of meaningful messages and we're getting ready to test some really exciting things in Facebook where we're going to be able to um, deliver what we're calling engagement content. So like non-fundraising asks, asking supporters to do um, small acts of kindness that are connected to the mental health work that we do at Trevor. So like our research tells us that the COVID pandemic has created a tremendous amount of increased feelings of um, anxiety and depression among LGBTQ yeah. young people who are stuck in sometimes really unaffirming spaces. And so we know that like the, you know, meaningful intervention of just one adult supporter can drastically reduce the feelings of uh, the likelihood of someone to attempt suicide by like 40%. So we're like, okay, if we know that these meaningful connections can contribute directly to the increased mental health of the young people that we serve, then we extrapolate that that must also be true for adults. So if we're delivering positive, engaging, meaningful content through the platform where people are congregating, we are we are doing two things, right? We like to say at Trevor, two birds, one scone. We're, we're offering people the opportunity to meaningfully engage in something that lifts their spirits and the spirits of other folks by through the, the communication channels that we have access to via messenger or through our Facebook page or our challenge pages. But we're also able to move that relationship forward in a channel where someone has already said, yes, I care about your organization. Here's where I feel comfortable. We can deliver research content. We can deliver, you know, statistic con like details about our services, access to our programs, you know, uh, measurable impact stories about how their contributions are moving us forward as an organization. So like, that's a channel where people are already saying yes. Yeah. So like, why not 
take advantage of it and really show up and deliver content that people are looking to engage with. Um, so we're super excited about how our social channels have enabled us to kind of like be with people all the time in a way that we didn't used to be able to, you know, through direct mail or even email because email is becoming kind of like the, to my, in my opinion, a bit of like the value pack of the digital world. Like it just kind of goes into your promo folder and you're deleting it all. So, yeah, you know, there's just lots of exciting opportunities to get really one-to-one with people in meaningful ways. I love that. And uh, we're happy to partner with you and other um, organizations on that. And I think the most important thing we're doing right now is because this, is, this goes back to your, um, your mantra that you are, you know, you look to the future, the next practice thinker. So now what we're doing is really measuring that capturing mm-hmm. data on that um, to see, you know, how open rates, you know, compare to traditional outreach direct mail, you know, email um, what's the fundraiser conversion rate, you know, is a click-through rate higher? Those are all the data points that I think nonprofits really need in order to make the case within their organization to adopt new strategies for those that maybe don't uh, aren't as innovative as Trevor Project or you know have tr- are willing to try new things differently. Aaron, what other ways do you think people could track and capture data in a way that they can make the case to their boards or to their leadership about you know trying some of these new strategies and tactics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for for startup, I think it's important, one, just an overall um, sort of PSA for the nonprofit community that Google Analytics is being sunset in July. And so it is important for everyone to upgrade to their Google Analytics for properties so they have an opportunity to build up that historical data because you cannot transfer data between the universal analytics that folks are used to and GA4. So PSA to the nonprofit community, (laughs) get going on Google Analytics for us that you can, again, like track conversions and and collect all that information. So um, definitely, definitely get moving, getting set up with that. Thank you for sharing that. We might need a whole episode on that one. I mean, that's, that's such critical data. Um, You know, I wonder too, uh, what do you think it, it would, what do you think holds nonprofits back from looking at new strategies, trying new um, tactics or investing in, in new platforms. Um, what have you seen, Aaron, or what do you you think, uh, Tina, from your perspective, what do you think what do you think the reason is that nonprofits aren't always willing to to dip their toe into these new um, opportunities to meet people where they are? Um, I think a lot of it can be like time and like an ever evolving digital landscape. So like it's, you have to learn sort of the ins and outs of each of these different platforms and how best to advertise on them and engage with them. But there's like a whole like community of agencies who are their sole purpose is to help nonprofits deliver these sort of digital marketing tactics to drive their fundraising, to either do that like for them in conjunction with them or Mm -hmm. provide a wonderful resources of course materials that, um, can teach organizations about SEO best practices, right? And like all of these things that seem basic, but like we need to make sure that all of our digital properties are ready. So like we're seeing a lot more of the donations come in on mobile from desktop. So when you go through your sort of digital inventory checklist, are those optimized for mobile? Like what does that experience look like when I go to your form on my phone? Is it, do I have to scroll like thousands of pages before I can actually hit donate? So I think it's important to take a look at, sort of take inventory of that. Um, and also like have your, your main website be ready to, like in a crisis moment, for example, be able to 
um, support all of the traffic that might be coming to it. So your site doesn't crash at a crucial time. So <laughs> yeah. we've seen a lot of that in like the crisis response and like also the organizations needs to develop a strategy to keep those crisis donors and turn them into lifelong supporters. So if I look at examples from like even most recently, the Damar Hamlin, um, the Buffalo Bills star who collapsed, I look at his GoFundMe now just surpassed $8.4 million. Oh my gosh. 500. So people, when there's a crisis, they want to come in and help. And you can see sort of the, all of the growth that we've seen in like World Central Kitchen um, and their efforts in Ukraine. Um, so I think also being prepared for, to succeed from a crisis moment, um, I think is really important and to have sort of your digital infrastructure set up for that. Yeah, that's really important. And that's hard to do because it's not cheap always and it takes time. And so resourcing is probably a, a big factor in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're kind of getting at Maria, something that comes to mind for me, um, you know, and having been in a lot of different organizations, different sizes over the years of my career. And I, I weathered the last recession at a food bank, which is like really where I learned how to do direct mail and integrated digital work. You know, I think a lot of nonprofit organizations, kind of like I said in the beginning, like we're one or two steps behind, like what is really happening in real time for, for potential supporters. And like, we believe in fundraising that like, it's fundamentally about relationships, but like relationships are not always like face-to-face, deeply meaningful and intimate connections. Like relationships are measurements of connectivity between individuals. And so when we think about like, what is holding a nonprofit back? If we believe that every relationship that we develop has to lead to a major gift, we're going to miss out on opportunities Mm -hmm. to build meaningful connections with supporters of all capacities and inclinations in channels, how they show up. And I think that that's really, for me, like what this meeting people where they are is about. It's not just meeting someone in the platform and through the vehicle that they want to give to you in. It's also about meeting who they are, where they are, when they Mm -hmm. are in their journey as a supporter. Like, you know, our team is called the community philanthropy team because we fundamentally believe that it takes a community of supporters to move our mission forward. That means we need $5 donors. We need $500,000 donors. It's going to take a movement of individuals to make the kind of impact we need to make for the lives of LGBTQ young people. And I think that that idea when applied to any organization, irrespective of mission or size or scope, you can't rely on like any one subset of supporters or kinds of gifts to get you where you want to go. And so organizations invest in like, this has worked and I have evidence that proves it works year over year over year. So why should I change it? Risk mitigation is a big problem for nonprofit partners who have limited resources and oftentimes really small teams, right? So that risk reward calculus is like a constant thing that nonprofits are talking, are thinking about. Um, and I can remember, you know, I do that work all the time in, in my in my work at Trevor. But I think when we look ahead, the landscape is changing and it has been changing and it's going to continue to change. And some amount of thoughtful mitigated risk is how we get to next practice. It's how we get to next best practice. It's how we get there. And, and um, yeah, I think we're already starting to get there as we enter whatever third, fourth, thousandth year of the pandemic and what that means for fundraising for us. Right. Well, and I don't, don't want to um, be flippant and, and you know, 
like tell nonprofits, you just need to innovate. I mean, it takes a lot to, to move budget dollars, to find budget dollars, to hire the right talent who really does understand, you know, new social, social media opportunities or, you know, digital fundraising. Um, But I believe there are people in every organization that are there for the, you know, are there for the future. They're there to push the organization. And it's so important to have those people on board. And I love what you said, Aaron. There's so many resources out there. Reach out to your peers, you know, someone, if you see a nonprofit who's doing something amazing, I guarantee you they'd be happy to visit with you. You're not, you know, we're not going to share trade secrets, obviously, but talk about philosophically what you're doing in your organization and make that change. I think it's important to lean into our peers and really help each other because together we can push and change and evolve fundraising, right? Um, there's going to be obviously outliers always, people that do great stuff, but isn't, um, you know, imitation the best form of flattery, right? Um, but help each other. And then there's also so many agencies and uh, vendors and uh, partners that are willing to lean in. And I think that's something too that I've seen. Um, obviously, I transitioned from being in a nonprofit for many years to, you know, a partner agency now, uh, organization now. And um, what I love is that there are so many nonprofits that are now willing to, they don't have to own the answer to everything. They don't have to build it in-house. I don't believe we have the time in this uh, industry to build up those resources because the landscape changes so quickly, right? Uh, Digital fundraising and social media and other ways, it changes so quickly. So you don't have the time to build that in-house all the time. And it's, I think it's in a a different timeframe now I've seen where people are embracing partnerships more because you have, you know, whole organizations, they only do one thing. They're the expert, lean in on them. They want to partner with you as opposed to, you know, spending years and years building it in-house. Have you seen that change, Erin? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've definitely, um, a lot of our organizations are working with some partner either to assist with direct mail, digital, both um, multiple agencies that were yeah. doing different things. And so and then they all, everyone's like really working together. And so like a part of my role in the product marketing organization is to work with these um, agencies who are supporting our clients to bring great content to the nonprofit sector. So as an example, like in January, we're hosting um, a webinar with Pursuant on how to increase recurring donor retention. So we saw a huge spike in recurring gift transactions, both on Giving Tuesday, as well as on New Year's Eve, which is a big fundraising day for us. Like this year, we saw 122% increase in recurring transactions on New Year's Eve, which is like very exciting. But as we know, it's going to, it costs more to acquire a donor than it does to retain them. So really working to kind of mind share with these great organizations and these agencies on like how we can best tactically like support donor retention. So um, those are some of the things that I'm kind of working on is to, again, bring those great insights that from proven practices that work across um, organizations, regardless of size and um, size and sector. um, And then, you know, bring that to the community, which has been delightful part of my work. That's fun. That's very fun. Now, Tina, I know you talk so passionately about those supporters to your organization, individuals that give, whether they give $5 or $5,000, but when you meet people where they are, how do you think that kind of validates who they are or values what they bring to your organization? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when you when you connect to someone 
in the in the channel or like through the medium that they've shown up to like say yes to you what you're saying to someone is like i see you you have value and you matter right and and that's in many ways like why we're doing these philanthropic transactions right like Erin may have heard me like wax about this at a classy summit earlier this year, but like, (laughs) I think sort of the fundamental thing that moves philanthropic giving is this desire for connection and to seeing like the aid that you can offer someone else be validated in some way. And so when we meet our supporters with a measure of gratitude, that's like authentic and genuine, what we're saying is that like, we see you and you have value and you don't have to fit into column A, B or C in order to like warrant my time, warrant my connection. And I think that that's something, especially when we think about what community philanthropy can mean and should mean in the world that like, you don't have to be Jeff Bezos or Mackenzie Scott to make an impact. And so we collect a lot of testimonials from our supporters. Every time a supporter shows up to Trevor, we ask them like, What's your why? Like, why are you here? What moved you to make this gift? And yes, there's folks who have experienced a loss as a result of of losing someone to their battle with, you know, um, mental health challenges. Uh, or they're an LGBTQ supporter themselves, or they're a parent, or they're a coach. Everyone has a story behind their contribution. Right. And I think that when you validate that person and you say, I see you, you matter, tell me your why it's that first step to building that connection, that relationship, which may only be a one or two time a year. Maybe you're sharing texts, maybe you're sharing emails, maybe you're talking through messenger, maybe you're just liking someone's post on Instagram, like whatever that is, it means something to that person. And I think when I think about what is like relationship fundraising look like in a digital landscape, it's all those things like add up to be the sum total of, of what, feels like affirmation to the person who's looking for it as part of their contribution to their to your organization. And so, you know, we talk a lot at Trevor and this is something we're kind of I'm working on with my team right now is like how do we ma- how do we measure meaningful engagement and what is yeah. what does meaningful engagement? How do we define it? Is it a like on Facebook? Is it like a, you know, an Instagram reshare? Like all of these things are are part of how people interface in the world today and they matter to the people that do them. So we as as practitioners need to find a way to like affirm and encourage that behavior and like incorporate those metrics into our own personal KPIs at our organizations because that's really the measure of fundraising success anymore. It's not just in how many calls, how many visits, you know, how many major gifts. It's like we have some of our, especially in like our streaming and social platforms, we have streamers who have 250 million viewers who are tuning oh in like a much bigger audience than any direct mail audience I'm ever going to be able to have access to. That's so true. And, and I, I've found too, that our work with our partner organizations that are doing challenges or managing their uh, Facebook fundraisers is the sense of community that these participants Mm -hmm. feel. um, And they're so willing to share their stories, which again, like you said, really helps you define what meaningful engagement is and meaningful engagement with your organization is going to lead to, you know, developing lifetime value. So, Mm -hmm. and, and it's not all about, uh, you know, gift after gift after gift. It's like, how else are they going to come to your organization? Are they going to choose to volunteer? Are they going to raise their hand for an advocacy you know, effort? Are they going to help you reach out to other individuals? Are they going to talk about your organization? Um, There's so many ways to engage people. And um, 
I really have seen that, that sense of community um, where people feel a part of something. Like you said, they're not even, they don't even know each other. They don't live close to each other. That Mm-mm. That's what it used to be, right? You'd go to an event, you'd meet somebody new, you'd catch up with them, and then you'd come to the next event. But uh, that is happening in a very different way. Um, and just as meaningful I've seen on social media. That's been kind of an exciting um, output that I've seen over the past year. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we talk a lot at Trevor about we're not just like moving a mission, we're building a movement. And like, I think that that's like what these communities enable for us. Like, yes, like there's great things about social media and there's terrible things about social media. Yeah. It's a double edged sword of like living in the world as a person. But I think that that's what we are trying to create in our community philanthropy audience is like, we want to build mission evangelists. Like we want people to go out there and like, make sure that queer kids know that they're loved for exactly who they are. And whether that's by showing up with a gift or advocating against harmful legislation or spending some time on our lifeline as a volunteer, or just going into your school and making sure that Trevor's resources are posted on a bulletin board for young people to know that they can call 988 or they can, you know, text our, our lifeline crisis counselors or, or go to our secure website and become a member of Trevor space where they're going to meet peers from all over the world who are experiencing the same kinds of challenges that they are. Any and all combinations of those things lend themselves to building a movement for LGBTQ lives. And like, that's, that's the reason we show up, right? So the gifts are great and increased revenue is wonderful, but like building mission evangelists who are going to build a movement around your work, like that's the special sauce. That's the thing that we wake up for and try to do every day. And I think that's the power of philanthropy and fundraising done right for organizations is that you build evangelists for your work, not just givers. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you're a nonprofit listening today and you decide, yes, we are going to start, you know, communicating and reaching people where they are. So what do you think some, I guess, first steps a nonprofit could could take to maybe audit themselves or what questions could they ask themselves? Are we doing this now or what opportunities are we, you know, not taking advantage of yet? Do you have any thoughts on that, Erin? Where could, where could a nonprofit start? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think if we look at like where um, we're seeing the most traffic come from, actually like LinkedIn is a very high converting um, Mm -hmm. platform for us. So I would take a look at the major um, platforms and what's your strategy for each of those platforms, right? Are we looking to find and acquire new supporters? Are we looking for Gen Z in particular? So like who's the audience and like, why do we want them? Right. Um, And then we have to communicate a strategy to communicate differently with those folks. So if someone is, has participated in a peer to peer, like that's, that's okay. Like maybe they're not going to be a major gift. And I think this goes back to our conversation from Friday, Tina, where it's like, you don't have to be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, how can we communicate again with those people in meaningful ways that talks about like how their, speaks to their identity um, it's like, as we saw in our, like why America gives report, like over 50% of like passive supporters gave because it made them feel good. And so I think, um, when we look at, again, the major platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok is growing, although there's grumblings that that might go away this <laughs> mm-hmm, year. So who mm-hmm. knows what will come. We'll see. Um, no. and just, you know, are one, are you there? You know, two, are you active? And like, what do those kind of experiences look like? So again, to, I think I made a point earlier about Gen Z and millennials are going to check those social channels before making a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, again, make sure that those give them like the, the facelift that they may or may not need um, on those particular platforms so that when people go do their research about you, you're there. 
That's great. Yeah. What yeah, would you add would, to that? So I would add to that, like, you don't have to be everywhere in order yeah. to be somewhere. And I think that, you know, I, I, when I talk to like colleagues or I teach courses on like, you know, how to show up, people think, well, I have to be on TikTok. I have to be on Instagram. I have yeah. to be on Facebook. I have to be like, I have to be any, everywhere in order to be anywhere. So when you're auditing, like, take a look at your conversion rates of the channels that you're in. And like, one of the easiest, easiest lifts is just send more emails, not solicitation emails, communication emails, blast about your services, like highlights of your supporters, like a new and exciting thing that you're going to be doing, just even just impact data about like what's happened within the last month. I mean, I think the stat is like just sending more emails, like lifts overall direct mail revenue by like 90%. Even if people don't give through your emails, they're going to give more offline if you communicate with them online. So I think just like there's little, there's easy things that you can do. So just like turn up the volume on your email channel. If you're sending four emails a year to your donors, you're not sending enough. And people, I know they're afraid of unsubscribe rates and all of that, but we're not, you can't be afraid of something you're not doing. Right. So, you know, I think there's, when you look at your conversion rates of your existing channels, if you're, if one channel isn't performing at all, then maybe consider testing something small in another channel and measuring it for what it's worth, you know, but you don't have to be everywhere just in order to be somewhere. I think Aaron's point about LinkedIn is a really valuable one, especially if you have a notable CEO or other folks at your organization, leverage that platform to speak your message in that person's voice on LinkedIn, and you'll start to see some traction happening. But knowing your audience and showing up in a channel with a message that's tailored for that audience and your strategy is so critical to your success. Because you can't just recycle the same message over and over and over in channel because people can see that it's just a copy and paste job and that's not what people are looking for. Right. Very good. Those are really practical tips. I think it's just, I love what you said, Erin, like what social media outlets are you in? You know, what is your current level of engagement? And I would just add, what is the goal you're setting for yourself? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, to increase fundraising? Is it just to increase the number of followers? Like set a goal for yourself and then just do it. <laughs> and I I agree with you, Tina. You don't have to do, you don't have to eat the whole elephant, right? Mm-mm. Just practice, learn, um, and, you know, test in different social media channels and see what results, you know, you come up with. These are great tips. Wonderful. And I would be happy to talk to any of our listeners today about, what Good United is building. We're really leaning in on conversational two-way messaging or two-way communication, I should say, in Messenger. You know, that's on the meta on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And we're seeing some pretty amazing results when you look at, like you said, Tina, conversion rates or open rates. And uh, people are really interested in speaking what we say in the channel where they're spending their time. You don't want to move them off platform. Uh, that's just like me, you know, trying to order something online and then being told to go to the store to return it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just, I want to stay where I'm at. (laughs) Right. So, you know, there's lots of, lots of, uh, opportunities there to learn about. All right. Well, anything else that we want to tell our listeners today about meeting people where they are, anything we didn't cover last minute thoughts. I mean, I don't have anything to tell them about that, but I would tell everyone who's listening, drink some water, unclench your jaw, roll your shoulders back. You're doing good work. (laughs) 2023 is going to be probably 
equally as wild as 2022. Yeah. And there's a lot of work ahead for all of us. So like, it is a relay race. It is not a sprint. So rest when you need it is what I would that's not related it. to this, but that is just advice for all. Of I love that. Folks I needed that today. After end of year. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. And also lean into partnerships, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to go it alone. There are, right. there are lots of ways to partner with your, your vendors and other people to help provide like platform data, best practices and share examples from others. So don't go it alone. We're, we're here mm-hmm. to help. I'd love that. Okay. I love that. Well, thank you both so much for joining today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining Nonprofit Innovators. Uh, I hope to talk to you all soon. And I really appreciate you joining the conversation today. Thank you. This has been Nonprofit Innovators, a podcast from Good United on a mission to democratize the nonprofit supporter experience. Check out our blog, chock full of ideas like these and others for the future of fundraising at goodunited.io. My name is Mark Cross, Sales Director here at Good United. You can follow me or our host, Maria Clark, on LinkedIn. Thanks for checking us out.